Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and hobby dollars on, and it leads to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events that are going on, and to talk to the people who make these games. Well, last week, I had my good buddy Jermaine on, and we talked about a lot of games and the things we've been painting and the, the, the different games that are out in the ether at the moment that are catching our eye and that our friends are playing. And we in Melbourne are in uh, the middle of another sort of non-determinate length uh, COVID lockdown. So hobbies sort of taking a weird time, I guess time and hobbies taking a weird timey-wimey, sideways, bizarre stretch. So uh, I guess what I determined with Jermaine last week was I guess I'm just painting things to make me happy. So I'm painting things, uh, some models for Marvel Crisis Protocol. I'm working on my G.I. Joe stuff. I've been painting some uh, Transformers to play Bot War. Uh, I've been painting just a lot of weird and wonderful things uh, that sort of take me <laughs> largely back to my childhood. Um, but in my conversation with Jermaine, we started talking about fantasy. Warhammer fantasy. Square bases, baby. And that got me thinking, and I've been thinking a lot about it this week. And if we're going to talk square bases, there are some people we need to have on this week. Uh, from the dwellers below, the evil mind who is possibly the best square base general I've ever met. Some call him the father of lies. Others call him assorted thunder names. I like to refer to him as my friend Nick. Welcome back to Cast Ice. Thanks, Brad. Very cliche, but it's great to be here. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. No, you've been on several times and I know you don't listen. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but speaking of uh, people who have been on before, with the name that sounds a lot like the guy I just said, uh, the man behind a podcast I've been listening to an awful lot and who are in the middle of a hobby challenge involving square bases and several other things I want to talk about. The dude behind the beard and the the mastermind behind the one of my favorite new podcasts, dudes talking about toy soldiers. I didn't screw it up oh, that it. time. Uh, <laughs> Nick Beatty, welcome back to Cast Dice. Oh, thanks, man. It's always good to jump on and just uh, talk shop with you. Man, now for those who don't remember, Nick is the insane hobby god who brought us uh, a Tiger II like no other in bolt action and converts models to a level that hurts my brain. But you have a group of friends who you like to talk shop with, talk hobby, talk games, uh, hence the podcast, I should say. Um, and you guys are in the middle of a... Well, actually, several cool challenges at the moment. One is you guys did a sports-like draft of units to do a Horus Heresy bizarre sports draft league that Jermaine was talking about last week, which is awesome. But you're also doing a Warhammer 6th edition challenge. Now, before we get into the main topic, why sixth edition? Why why not um, why not anything else? Because sixth has been dead for an awful long time. 
Oh, um, yeah, from our current much research into it, what it came out in 2000, so 21-year-old game system. It's pretty yes. crazy when you think about it like that. Um, we've got one guy who's getting into it I, who was one at the time, which just crushes my soul on an unbelievable level. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, but um, the reason we went six is, like, a lot of us had played eight, um, and, you know, eight was fine. It was the game to be played, what, coming up on, like, oh, geez, almost 10 years ago, probably somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um it was a game to be played, but it's very restrictive to get into due to the percentages. You know, you want to run your cool vampire lord, well, you've got to have 500 points of zombies, don't you? So it's not a very good um, gateway drug, if you will, or like a, an entry-level game, because to get people into it, they need to invest a huge amount of time and money, whereas 6th edition seems to be the... Well, for one, the edition that a lot of people, if you're not playing 8th, talk about, and it's got so much more cool psychology and stuff. But when I first got into Warhammer, 6th edition was the Warhammer edition. Like, I was, I was into 40K when I was younger, as all, you know, good little teenage boys are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, like, vividly remember, like, um, when the Chaos, the Hordes of Chaos book was coming out, they they had all, like, the um, all the white dwarfs leading up to it. They had each white dwarf to a particular god and stuff. The art, the fluff, the knights. God, I love the old 6th edition knights. Like, to me, it's just... It's so, you know, not to overuse the grim dark term, but it's very grim dark and a bit more low fantasy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess, uh, and now Hohen, you will definitely be able to speak more to this. But when Warhammer Sixth Edition came out, the the systems because I played, I started playing fantasy in fifth, and yes, that is the um, Lizardman box. I I played fifth, and when it went to sixth, I had just started working for Games Workshop a second time, um, or I was about to. And when the edition came out, I was an outrider. And so there was a local shop, and I was living in Boston at the time, Danger Planet Games. And they had a startup league, and I brought my Chaos Dwarves. Everyone roll eyes here. And I ended up playing in that startup league, and it was sixth ed. And I fell in love with Square Bases. Then, I think uh, my friend Brian ran the shop. He did a really good job of making it interesting and having it accessible for new players. And though I'd played fifth, I'd played it really poorly. And I don't think I got much better in (laughs) sixth, but I had a lot more fun doing it. And so for me, sixth was this jump into the magic system cleaned up a lot. It went from cards to actually, you know, the dice system that I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. The way that units interacted, the fact that they cleaned all the army books out at one time and brought out the booklet Ravening Hordes and sort of restarted everything at once, um, it felt like a nice place to start. And I really like a lot of the rules that were in it. But from 6th Ed, and 6th Ed was a step up model count wise from 5th, but then from 7th and then to 8th in particular, the armies got significantly bigger and then towards the end of eighth we went from having huge units to huge monsters and insert joke about putting howdas on everything in eighth edition um (laughs) but i guess it, it the game just felt bigger and bigger and bigger as the editions got and then it got so big that the world literally exploded in the end times and then it ended nick do you think i'm doing a fair representation of that yeah, I think that sums it up uh, pretty well. Certainly, fifth ed. I didn't play fifth. I came in very early sixth. Uh, I think there are a few army books out, but uh, most of the, the um, rule sets were ravening hordes. And um, yeah, you, so you've moved from fifth to sixth ed, where fifth was really hero hammery. Uh, you had just mm-hmm. these gigantic, monstrous lords that were 
um, just dominating the game. And, and six head was a, a big step away from that into a more troop focused game. Seventh edition probably moved almost closer back towards um, fifth edition in that sense, in that it was like probably more hero hammering than six head. Um, unit size was probably raised a little bit because you needed five five wide for rank bonus and stuff, but That's also right. that made it harder to get those rank bonuses. So, it, uh, and then eighth head obviously was a, a big expansion in the in the model count and the troop count. Well, with eighth ed, we introduced the rule steadfast, right? Which meant that if you had more ranks than the people who are charging you or the unit strength that was charging you, you got to test on your morale. Uh, you're stubborn. Well, yeah, basically you got stubborn. Like it, you were far more likely to not run away. Uh, and so yeah, that meant I, that I, at least in the beginning, lots of people wanted that. Plus you got to fight in two ranks. Plus they added the unit, the unit type of hordes. So all of a sudden you could fight, if you fought really wide, 10 wide, you get even more bonuses, right? Sorry, Nick, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. No, no, absolutely. It was the the horde rule and the... So attacking in two ranks generally um, just increased the amount of dice you would roll, the amount yeah. of models that would fight. So it, it meant rather than having just small units of um, troops that would have high quality attacks, you could take larger units. And then again, that horde rule, meaning you could fight in three ranks, um, again, just promoted those 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 bigger units, but also the um, the way the movement system changed with charges, and obviously they got rid of pre, um, they put pre measuring in. Yeah. But the way charges worked was you you measured the closest distance, and then it was just based on a dice roll. Mm-hmm. Whereas, which meant these big units that were ten model wide units could actually wheel around and actually make charges. Whereas in um, in sixth and seventh, if you had a unit that was that wide, they, were, they just got slowed down because of the uh, the wheeling on the outside of the unit. Exactly, right? Um, Nick Beatty, I know you've said something a second ago. Did did you want to add to that? I was just saying that 8th went full simple, Jack. Like, I only, I'm an 8th edition baby. I sort of came in, I think, a year, maybe even less, away from the end times. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a shock in the face. But, um, yeah, 8th was definitely hard to get into. And, yeah, the random, ch- like, roles and, like, there's a, like, I suppose we could, you probably want to look at it a more formatted thing, but uh, there's so many issues wrong with eighth by comparison to six, I find. Um, even not having actually stepped on the sixth battlefield, just uh, by reading through the rules, pouring over the army books and stuff, um, just the differences are crazy. Like, one of my first memories from a tournament for um, eighth edition was someone just thrones of vining, um, dwells blowing, I think, was that the life one, dwells blow? Oh, yeah. 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 Dwells blowing, killing my vampire blow. lord, game done. That was so much fun you know what i mean like shouldn't have the, strength the, test oh well yeah shouldn't have rolled that six um that's the dweller but, below podcast moniker by the way resist yeah <laughs> but where's the I, I just found like you look at the magic system in six it, it's buffs low-key damage it's not like well sorry the purple son of zurus on a unit of ogres you know game over yeah exactly um, I, yeah, absolutely. It's just super toned down by comparison. Yeah, and that's more, not to more... say that that six had uh, it was a perfect rule set. There's there's plenty wrong with. Oh, six. there's always something wrong with something. It's just games workshop. Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I also feel like, and I think uh, Ho and you would know this more than anything else. But I played a lot of Eighth Edition when we when it first came out, and I loved it. Um, you know, we were doing the Dwellers Below podcast. I was playing in a lot of events. I was traveling interstate for events, uh, and I was really passionate, really into it. But the game fairly. I don't want to say fairly quickly, but over a couple of years, it dramatically 
changed the feel of it. You went from having the big units, from having Magic being really central. I guess Magic was still central later. But as army books came out and as things like Always Strikes First became fairly uh, um, common, uh, and then you had giant monsters and everything, uh, the game started to feel a lot different. It's almost like 8th edition was two separate games from when it started and from when it finished. Um, And it wasn't around that long, I don't feel like. Would you agree with that, or do you think I'm oversimplifying that? Yeah, like, and this is not a phenomenon unique to to 8th edition in that the, the, the power creep was real, and I don't think there's any game the GW have made apart from maybe Blood Bowl where the power was, models, was, baby. was was not mm-hmm. real. Um and so yeah, it did definitely change the game. I think eighth edition, when I look back at it, I think it was actually one of the longest played editions. I'm, I'm I am making that up, but uh, it could be incorrect. Well, I'm just I'm just looking it up now. So it came out in twenty ten. Um when was Moonstruck? Because Moonstruck I went to Moonstruck and it was like a couple of months before they nuked the world, wasn't it? Or just yeah, as they did. I, I, pretty sure we played a good five five years of eighth edition um yeah so it was it was a pretty it, it went for a while okay here we go Arkham was 2015 end times Arkham. the yeah. rest were 2014 so it would have been early 2015 they nuked it so that's what four and a half years five yeah. years ish yeah but uh, yeah we'll call it september i think it came out when say oh 14th of june so yeah almost five years on the knock almost five years yeah whereas six was what 2000 through to 2006 September. Was it so, only? Oh, I thought it was eight years. All right. Now, clearly, as you say, no edition is perfect. Uh, but I, I, I heard someone say in a podcast. I was listening to the Old World Lives, and they were talking about the benefits of both editions, and it got me thinking because they they said something that I think resonates well, which was one of the guys said that sixth edition, it is a great representation of smaller conflicts. You have smaller units. Um, it's not as grand on the tabletop. Whereas 8th edition, you have these giant monsters. People are throwing like you know these spells that end the world. You have these giant heroic characters. You have all of these massive units running into one another. It's almost like the, the big battles that are described in some of the fantasy books. That's 8th edition. And it almost feels like 6th edition is the smaller scale, nitty-gritty, Joe the... Joseph, uh, let me put it be a little more thematic there. Joseph, the the leader of the empire uh, militia in a particular area, has put together a couple of units of his bros, and he's got, got some knights and, a, and the local warrior priest together to fight off uh, an incursion of night goblins, but not a big one. Like that's the kind of feel I get from sixth edition. It's it's not as grand. Um, I believe. I believe in the six, it says somewhere, I could be completely wrong, can be possibly lying to you, but they mentioned somewhere in the scale on the six that like the units are sort of representations on the battlefield. Like sure, there's 12 guys in the unit, but that is, you know, think of that's 120 man spearman unit. Like they were sort of analogs for the, the size. They weren't like a one-to-one representation. Think about like fighters in um, Battlefleet Gothic, you know, they're huge by comparison to the ships. It's just a, a representation on the battlefield whereas i think eighth might have tried to be like well no let's have one-to-one guys for what it should look like yeah i also think that eighth edition was let's sell a lot of models but <clears throat> as someone who worked for games workshop in sales let me tell you that's a thing Shocking. Owen, Owen now you and i met playing in a sixth edition event i was fleeing from 40k and looking to play some fantasy 
And uh, I guess it was the end of that because I was no longer in the States and I was down here, clearly, uh, and we played a game. You played a a fair bit of sixth, um, and I know you played a lot of seventh and eighth. Do you feel like that as far as scale went, that it it crept up as it went? Or do you have a different feeling about that? No, I think think Nick summed it up pretty well. And I actually do remember that um, exactly what he was talking about in that they, they did have something saying, it's not this is not a one-to-one representation um i think they kind of moved away from that later on yeah. um but yeah it uh it certainly it certainly grew the, like the games grew throughout the editions um and the, and the scale sort of the, the scope if it were to change that's for sure now i i should mention nick how old were you roughly when we played our first game I was thinking about this, and I reckon it must have been 2005, because that's when I first started playing events. And so I'd say I would have been 14, 15. And at the time, I was the number one ranked Warhammer 40,000 player in Australasia. And who won that game? Uh, it wasn't you, that's no. for sure. <laughs> I got my clock cleaned by a friendship. 15-year-old. I friendship won that game. It, well, yeah, it was great. Um, no, I actually distinctly remember being a complete little uh, douchebag. Yeah, and I'm, so, I was not happy about it in that game. But that no, was. It. But then five no, minutes later, a, we were good friends. So there you that go. That was in my my fourteen year old taking this all way too seriously phase. Uh, no, th- but nothing changed in the ten years following that, right? No, I just got actually good. Yeah, uh, exactly. Work. Exactly. Oh God, yes, I uh, I got beaten by uh, a, a very young teenager, and. <clears throat> Uh, That was when I let competitive gaming pass me by, kids. Well, let's talk a little bit, guys, about how 6th Ed listing was different from what some of the editions that came later, specifically 8th. And I guess we're going to talk mainly about 6th and 8th and maybe a few things in between. uh, 7th is just the middleman, isn't it? 7th had some pretty significant moments to it but i didn't around i didn't enjoy seventh like i enjoyed sixth and eighth for some reason um i I just seemed to lose a whole lot and i'm not sure what it was about seventh that i didn't quite like um i think as nick said it was very hero hammery um that said i loved the demon book in seventh ed uh as did most people in <laughs> the world wasn't that bent <laughs> yeah it was, was so one bent. of the main yeah. problems with seventh yeah ed, exactly that book. Okay. <laughs> but um yeah i i had a keeper of secrets that seemed to uh have a baseball glove and caught every rock thrown by every stone thrower on the planet so um using the baseball club, man. yeah this up. is this will probably be terrible podcasting, but I vaguely remember you playing a couple of games against Drew in a very short period of time with yes. the Keeper of Secrets. Is that am I remembering that? That is correct. We played, I think, like four games in one afternoon at Hampton. And um it was one of those when we were practicing for events and uh it was one of those, okay, we're playing. Oh, I have lost horribly. All right, re-rack. Let's try this again. What went wrong? How can we do it right this time? And at the end, like, everyone was standing around watching, going, why does your keeper keep getting hit in the head with a stone? And it was, you know, it was one of those things. Rock lobber's not that um, not that particularly uh, accurate, but I got hit by a stone and took six wounds every single time. Jesus Including, uh, I, I I vaguely remember, well, I fairly specifically remember, in fact, that you finally got around to putting your keeper behind a building and then 
the stone thrower scattered onto the keeper yes. and did six wounds. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> At which point I just gave up. And uh, I think I stopped playing Keepers of Secrets after that. <clears throat> anyway, 6th edition um, versus 8th. 8th was a percentage system. So you needed to have a certain percentage, as Nick talked about earlier, if you were playing vampires, for example, if you were playing a 2,000-point army, you would need something like 500 points of core, which would probably be zombies, which meant you would need to paint 10,000 zombies. However, yes. in 6th edition, there were core units, special units, and rare units. And, for example, if you were playing less than 2,000 points, 2,000 points being roughly the game that you were going to be playing at that the, the suggested level, I believe, you needed two core units, you could have up to three special units, and you could have up to one rare unit. And then you could have a total of three characters. None of those would be a lord level, and up to three of those, of course, would be heroes. Are we talking at 2K or before 2K? Below 2K. Up okay, to gotcha. 2K. Up to 1999. Yeah. And then if you went to 2000, which was the expected level, you would go to three core. You could have up to four special, up to two rare. You could have up to one lord uh, and up to four heroes, but you couldn't have more than four characters. So I feel like it would be easier to get rid of a core tax, so to speak, in this edition. But I also feel like you didn't need to paint 10,000 models to play. Uh, I, I just, I really did like that about this edition, that you got to see almost more variety on the tabletop, I feel like. Uh, and I don't know, Nick, Hohen, you played this edition along with me. Does it, am I representing that right? Did it feel that way to you as well? Or um, am I just remembering this with rose-colored glasses? Uh, look, there was definitely, certainly in late 7th edition, where just a lot of armies just didn't have good core units. And that's why the demons were actually quite good, was their core were, were insanely good. Um, and so you just have armies that were like, okay, I have to take three core units. And it was like three super minimum size core units. And so you just didn't see core at all, which I think is why they brought in that that minimum 25% yeah. into eighth edition which from a thematic perspective probably was an improvement in that you saw more core troops and those are the kind of things you expect to see but from a balance perspective that didn't really from help a, at all because from a vampire counts perspective it sucked <laughs> yeah i mean vampires still had ghouls and stuff like that so they had some good core but that still weren't great for 10 points <laughs> it um it was it was the armies like the demons that were just like well my my core is still awesome and and now I Chaos Warriors, you know, everyone yeah. everyone spends more points on those core that they didn't want to take and yeah yeah cough cough blood letters cough cough they were a thing says the guy who has a blood letter army to another guy who has a blood letter army <laughs> <clears throat> well i guess the the list variety is something that i want to talk about as well 6th edition was pretty amazing in that the variety of lists and expansions that the game had seemed to be more than any other that I can recall. And I did have a lot of expansions for a lot of editions of fantasy. I mean, not even getting into Storm of Chaos and the Lustria campaign. Was Lustria 7th? 6th. So it was 6th. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there were just a huge number of army lists as part of those campaigns that added on. But even in the back of the 6th ed books... 
Um, A lot of them had alternate army lists that would allow you to change the makeup of your force to allow more variety on the tabletop. It it is pretty cool. Not to mention, you look at the base rule book, and it has, I believe there's skirmish in there. I know we sold skirmish as a separate expansion because I worked in sales at the time, and it was uh, a, a great pamphlet. But the siege rules are real and deep and they're in the core rule book there's some great stuff in there and i just feel like sixth that just had the depth it it was pretty expansive bd i know you've been talking about this on your podcast would you agree with this oh yeah the the stuff in the but like if you go and look through all the white dwarfs and the annuals and all that sort of stuff the amount of army lists that came out was just crazy absolutely mind-blowing and obviously i wasn't around during that time but it seems like they're pretty accepted. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Plus the General's Compendium, which was... Oh, I've got that in hard copy. That is such an awesome book. Back when they used to tell you to convert stuff and make your own terrain. So fun fun story. That book was the very first book put out by the U.S. studio. It wasn't done by the U.K. studio. Um, it was a passion project for the uh, manager at the time of the U.S. studio and the longtime manager, Jeremy Vitalk, before he went and moved to the U.K. and joined the U.K. studio. It was almost his audition piece. And so, you know, I was one of the guys who... Um, was there when they were making that, and they needed to borrow some models. So my Chaos Dwarf Army is actually in that book. Um, I'm going to have to go get another look now. Yes. But that is a fantastic book, and it was such a great addition to the game. There were so many cool bits and pieces to that. And look, the the hobby of the U.S. guys, the quality of guys on that team was outstanding. And so the just the models in that book, and I'm not talking about my army, I didn't paint that those units, um, which is why they borrowed them from me at the time. Just everything in that book is astonishingly good. And that was not something that was put out by the UK studio. But there were some great books in there as well. Hohen, what do you think about um, all the expansions for that game? I know you, that you are a big proponent of rack them up on both sides and let's play, uh, let's play, you know, who gets to 20 points first, battle game. But there was so much to that addition that allowed you to put variety on the tabletop and different ways to play. What was your take on it? Yeah, look, when I was playing 6th edition, um, as previously discussed, I was a pretty keen teenager that that was playing with a lot of people who were very good at the game. And so I wanted to be like them and I wanted to play tournaments and, and win tournaments. And so at that tournament level, those those games, those lists weren't as deemed as acceptable. They weren't as common. Um, but looking back, the one of the biggest things that attracts me to six edition is that nostalgia factor. And, and that is boosted a lot by all of those lists. And there's, there's kind of, there's so many of them because you look at like the vampire counts book. Best. And, so good. I'll whip that out right now. Like, and the, and the, and the vampire counts army book has some amazing choice. You've got all the bloodlines. So you can have your van, uh, von Karsteins, you can have your Strigoi, you can have your blood dragons, your Necrarchs and your, um, your Lamians. I think I got them all. Yes. And, yep. um, and so you've got those bloodlines, but then in the back of the book, so there's already all this customization, which there wasn't to be had in later editions. And then even beyond that, in the back of the book, there's like a specific blood dragon list where you can take 
you can use the lance formation and you can take uh, black knights as core. Mm -hmm. And so the the customization and the different lists, it, it's just so cool. And and playing now, because I'm not playing competitively, it's it's a, it's getting to use all those, you know, cool themey lists. And I, I just absolutely love it. Yeah, like there's even a necromancer's army in the back. Like you don't have to run a vampire. How cool is that? Like Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, all, the, I, and all the sup supplements they released, mm -hmm. like like the, the Chronicles, the Annuals, yep. the... Uh, for me, my f absolute favorite book was the Storm of Chaos book. Mm -hmm. Such a good book. All the armies um, in that as well? Goddamn. Yeah, like the vibe of the the 6th edition uh, Warriors of Chaos stuff, all the miniatures, all the, just the vibe of those um, those rules. And with when they, that was when they first released Bellacor. Mm -hmm. And the model for that was just absolutely like amazing for yes. that time. I'd say he's still one of probably the better Demon Prince models to come out. Oh, I love that model. I've it's got, a stunning model. I've got two of them, and they slight segue. They've they've released one for Age of Sigma, which is also a stunning model. I've just been building that the other it's day. It's just very big. <laughs> it's very nice. Now, it correct me fits, if I'm it wrong. Almost fits on a 50 mil base. I was looking at the new Bellacore. He looks astonishingly like the old Bellacor scaled up um, more so than I think any other redo of a model the Games Workshop's ever done. Probably yeah. helps that Bellacor was a good model to begin with. Like yeah, look exactly. at Carl Franz, the old Carl Franz was hokey as all get up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and one of those things that like a lot of people didn't like about the shift to Age of Sigma, and, I, and I'm, I'm part of that, is that they moved away from that classic IP because yeah. that was a more generic IP and they moved to this more sort of crazy zany lock it um, up yeah things that they are clearly gw's ip and and so when they'd redo something they would it, it would be zanier it would be bigger it'd be crazier and some of the models were absolutely amazing but it didn't mm. look like it used to so the like things like the redoing the empires the cities of sigma and know, the very, name very different vibe exactly it's just like but <laughs> with the warriors of chaos stuff or or slaves when, to darkness. When, when the, the slaves to darkness, when they actually re-released that uh, about a year ago, they they redid they did new Chaos Warrior models, which and very old models at this point. But those new models look like the old models. There's a nod to them. Yeah, and the knights are almost spot on too. You put them next to each other, and they actually look like the old ones, but with better posing and better sculpts, mm -hmm. and they just look better and more dynamic. And be this Bellicor model is similar. It's I've got them, the two of them next to each other on a shelf and they, they look like the same guy. One guy's just a little bit bigger and, but just way better. Yeah. I, I still think of those models as brand spanking new. The ones you're referring to as old because I sold the previous ones for all my years at games workshop. And we always lamented, couldn't we get new chaos warriors? And then they came of course in the storm of chaos. Uh, but I was here uh, not working for the company anymore at that point. And so um, I'm always like, oh, the new Warriors of Chaos, how nice. And then they came out with other ones. And I was like, didn't those ones just come out? No. No, they didn't. <laughs> oh, I think they came out in about 05, Storm of Chaos? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got all the, the um, years on the back of the books. I mean, the legitimate books that I've got this written on. 
<clears throat> hey, I'm actually holding a legitimate Hordes of Chaos book, uh, and uh, I, I am too. <laughs> the the uh, Chaos Warriors in that book are the ones that I use in my army right now. Uh, although I did get rid of the heads, and they are very hunchy, but they are still uh, yeah. But those Chaos Knights, man, you're right. Those Chaos Knights are gorgeous. I love the six head Chaos Knights, especially got the like the hands stapled to his shield. Oh yeah, I have a couple yes. of those shields. Uh, I may have, because back then I was pulling models out of uh, metal bins in the back of GW, I may have grabbed a, a handful of those. Anyway. Uh, my, my, my absolute favorite range of models is that classic 6th edition Storm of Chaos era mm-hmm. um, Chaos Chaos Warriors. All of the metal heroes. And I actually, mm. I've, I've been collecting that kind of stuff. I've got almost all of that range. And so uh, one day I'll paint them up. Maybe I'll pay someone to paint them, but yeah, that like the the metal Archaeon when they released it was an mm-hmm. amazing figure. I've still got my me- one from when it came out all those years ago. I got it for my birthday back in the day. Yeah, I managed to pick one up a couple of years ago. Um, but even like the the Archaeon on foot, I have him. Games Day, mm-hmm. I got one of them. The Bellacore model, but just all the heroes, yeah. like just that was the absolute pinnacle for me of of vibe and models. Yeah, because they released it pretty much. They released a um, mounted and a foot model for each of the major powers, didn't they? They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. which was so cool. The corn one did look a little silly. Um, yeah, that horse. Oh, uh, are you thinking about the corn one or the converted one they had as what well? uh, Hargroth, the blooded one? No, no. I mean, he no, he was ugly. Uh, no, the actual yeah, corn really one looked. Uh, yeah, that horse looked. A the one with the, all the wavy, the, all the wavy chains. Yeah, we. I really liked it. No, just the guy holding the axe. Oh, you mean the on the horse? Yeah, yeah the horse one was weird. Yeah, gotcha. No, but uh, let's. Boob snake was where it was at, though. Oh, that is the boob snake. Uh, the boob snake and the Juan Diaz uh, demonette edition. Oh, Boobs oh everywhere, oh ladies and gentlemen. Yep. On that note, um, let's shift over to the magic system from sixth edition because it was a radical change from the fifth edition, which was the 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 cards the. The storm, oh, is it Storm of Magic? I'm trying to remember at the box. It's all uh, on you for this bit, buddy. Yeah, no, there was a, there was a storm, magic. Yeah, storm, storm of Storm of Magic was a supplement they released. Yeah, in exactly. Uh, maybe I'm getting that confused because there was a fifth edition Magic expansion that um that had a bunch of cards, and so you would have these cards, and people would always lose them, and they get dog-eared, and they get beat up, and it isn't like the edition that we have, you know, the system that you have now where you can, it's in the book and then you can get the card to put on the table, which is a nice add-on. You had to buy the whole other magic expansion again if you lost the card. It was very frustrating. Sixth edition was great because the magic system streamlined considerably in from what I remember. And I really like the system. You got two dice start and then an extra dice for every level of magic user that you had um, and then it was almost like the game within the game. Now, the spells, they did some damage. They could do some things. As you said, they they had, um, you could buff some models or they had consequences, but they didn't end the world either. But you could definitely, um, it was that moment of, do I, how do I use my dice this turn? And your opponent has um, dispel dice of a similar level and so there was always that that poker game almost between the two of you to try and get magic off um, versus in eighth edition and i did love the magic in eighth 
you rolled for how many dice you got. And so you could get anywhere between two and 12, and that could feel real bad if you were like me playing in the eight uh, round CanCon fantasy tournament with my Warriors of Chaos with a Zinch theme. And in almost every single round, I rolled four or less dice. It, it just felt really bad. And so, but having run Zinch Demons through sixth and seventh and having all of these magic dice out, I don't know if I played Zinch Demons in eighth edition from memory. Maybe I did, but it, it didn't feel the same because the consistency of the magic was. I don't know. Uh, Hohen, you you played through 6th, 7th, and 8th. What was your take on the magic system? Do you think... Um, I, I really like the magic system in 6th. What are your thoughts? I really like it in 6th because the the spell laws and the spells were, were toned down a lot. They they crept up a bit in 7th edition and, and magic got pretty uh, oppressive in, because you... You had to invest points in magic just to get magic defense a lot of the time. Yeah. And so because you would get two power one power dice for every level and, and essentially for every two levels you get one dispel dice. And so if you had an army that, that only had sort of one one wizard, you only had three dispel dice because you got two native. And and you could play against armies with, you know, I mean there was a classic uh, sixteen dice sench list. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a bit, which was a bit extreme, but you could easily get into that ten to twelve. At which point, you're getting three spells off a turn, and the opponent can't really do anything about it. And so, in seventh edition, when those spells got more powerful than they were in six, that became problematic. And that's kind of where they drifted away into the, the eighth ed magic system, which was you'd roll the two dice, and the defender got the the highest of those dice, and then the the attacking player got both of those dice. So when you rolled a six and a one as the attacker, it sucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the best rolls were actually like a three and a three. A six and a yeah. six was, was tough because you they'd just have so many to spell dice. Mm. But a three and a three was very good because you could throw six dice and, and almost force through one spell. But you were generally only forcing through one spell. Um, whereas some of the, there was magic missile spam in seventh and sixth ed, um, which you were casting eight magic missiles a turn and your opponent could only dispel two or three of them. Now they're, they're pretty janky though. They're all D6 yeah. generally, aren't they? So like, I feel like some might swing big and some, you know, oh, cool. I roll the one. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You just hit that consistency, right? Uh, I yep. think this was a, a seventh ed list uh, for the most part. It was like, yeah. you'd have, you'd have five or six bound D6 strength fours plus a couple of, sorry, five or six D6 strength four magic missile spells and then some bound spells. It's like, well, at the end of the day, if every turn you're rolling three or four D6 strength four hits, it's, even if you roll a couple ones, it's going to add up to a lot of damage. You'll get there eventually, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I think I think that I seem to remember that being more of a seventh thing, but it could definitely have been towards the end of sixth. Yeah. As well. So six had six had the, the you didn't have that magic missile spam so much, and the uh, the Skaven did it when the Skaven book came out in sixth. Oh, yeah. Their magic was was obscene, but yes. for the most part, the <laughs> While, while you could get a big disparity in power versus dispel dice, the actual spells weren't super oppressive. And so I think that hit a really good sweet spot. Um, you know, you look at, if you look at the Law of Heavens, the Law of Heavens was wide, widely considered the best law in 6 Ed, um, as far as the eight rule book laws went. And, and you look at that and it's just not, it's not that insane. It's not that amazing. No, not at all, right? Especially by comparison to later editions. You look at it and you go, that's actually pretty tame. I was reading through the lore going, 
wow, these spells aren't as good as I remember. And it's because, yeah. of course, but, they But it was a very it was a cool law because you had, you know, you had a second sign which gave you rerolls. Mm-hmm. You had um I think uh, you had a fork, uh, not fork lightning. You had Urinon Thunderbolt, which was a, mm-hmm. a, a decent range um, lightning bolt spell. Four, got it in front of me here. Yeah, yeah you had the com- the comet coming down, mm-hmm. and, but, so you had some buffs. You had some damage. Almost Chronos. Yeah, exactly. Like an area effect spell. So it was a good mixed lore, and a lot of the laws were like that. Yeah, I mean, I played Chaos Dwarfs for most of Sixth Edition because that's my jam. And, fire and metal, um, sure. Yeah. Well, for me, it was fire all day long, and just having a big hat and yelling "Conflagration of Doom" at my opponent, it, like throughout the game, was just joy to me. It was, it was terrible. But well, one of the big things that is different between sixth and eighth edition is psychology. I mean, psychology, and we did mention this a little bit earlier with the introduction of rules like steadfast and really huge units. Uh, the, the the fear wasn't a big deal anymore. Neither was terror. Uh, whereas in 6th edition, in particular, I remember, I could be thinking of 7th as well, there was real consequences for that. And you were also very likely to run compared to 8th edition. Uh, and so it, the combat was way less grindy. And you it almost felt like Sixth edition to me, you really needed to consider whether or not you would accept a charge because you, in a, if someone charged you, you would have a charge reaction and you could either flee, stand and shoot, or just take it. Um, and because there you weren't rolling the dice like you were in eighth edition, you could actually look at the table and then, you know, more accurately gamble whether or not A, they're going to make it, but then B, if I flee, will I make it away? Um, because if they hit me and break me and run me down, I'm dead. Um, it, it it just there there seem to be more consequences. Um, Hohen is what are your ta- what's your take on that? Yeah, I probably have a different take to a lot of people. I think the psychology was actually one of the, the biggest weaknesses of Sixth Edition. Oh, okay. Ooh. So yeah, controversial. I think Nick's gonna d- disagree with me on it. I. I've already flipped the table. Yeah, one of one of my issues with sixth edition is is the leadership across the board is 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 lower mm-hmm. leadership values, and so you you have uh, there's armies out there that just like their max leadership they can possibly get is like eight, and that is that is very low. Like you look at the chances of failing a leadership test on leadership eight, so you're rolling two to six and you're trying to roll an eight or under, mm-hmm. and so. It, it worked well with combat because it meant you had, you'd have, you know, you'd charge in with your cavalry and you'd, you'd win the combat and you'd be able to break through their lines and stuff like that. But things like terror and fear were just really oppressive. Like if you had a, if you had a big unit and you wanted to see sort of some, some bigger units on the field, bigger core units. And if mm-hmm. you'd have a bigger core unit with a leadership of eight or even nine, and they just, just, just for being within six inches of a, a terror causer, had to take a test and if they failed they'd run and potentially just run off the board and there was really very few ways to mitigate this whereas in eighth edition you had things like battle standard bearers that rather than letting you re-roll a break test let you re-roll any psychology test so you weren't just having whole units just vanish from the board just because they happen to be standing near a um a terror cause and things like fear the um the broken in combat and outnumbered by fear causing enemy 
meaning that you uh, sorry losing combat to a fear causing enemy that outnumbered you and you automatically broke and that contributed very much to the strength of of fear causing units and and they were you know extremely powerful and when you look back at the, which armies were strong in sixth edition certainly in late sixth edition it was the armies that just ignored psychology it was your undead it was your demons um because they they didn't care about fear or terror they didn't care about panic tests and it was very easy to just lose an entire game on the on the back of one panic test or one terror test whereas in eighth edition that could still happen but it was a lot less likely because almost every army had a battle standard bearer running and... the standard of discipline in the unit with the general so it was a re-rollable leadership 10 probably mm -hmm. with some form of cold-blooded so it was almost a nothing thing yeah absolutely and it probably did swing a little bit too far the other way it jumped the but... shark on the other i think on the back swing <laughs> but i think the you know, and, and you mentioned the, the the way combat worked in that you tended to um, you do a few wounds and that you wouldn't get the attacks back, so you'd know you weren't getting attacked back. Yeah. And, and I think it you could get some real non-event games in sixth edition where you know your opponent's quicker than you and faster than you, so they just charge in, they they attack. You don't get to roll any dice. You lose combat. You don't have you know BSBs weren't very common because they were expensive and not very good. Mm -hmm. And so you would you would lose combat, you would almost always break, and then you're panicking potentially your whole army. So I actually think it's one of the weaknesses of six as far as um, feels bad moments in the game. Mm. Um, eighth edition probably swung a little bit too far the other way, where psychology just wasn't a big thing at all. Yeah, I think on balance that was probably still better than in sixth edition, but there's probably a middle ground to be had. Yeah, I think I, I seem to remember having played a lot of 6th edition using the Ravening Hordes lists, and that isn't just because I was running Chaos Dwarves, um, because I played a huge amount when it first came out. Um, and so I think a lot of the units that would clear the front rank and not allow your opponent to swing back, um, that didn't come until you got the books, the army books later with the, with the, more, the jazzier units. Um, or with the better rules. And so I think my memory is that, you know, each people, each person playing would do, you know, clearly you want the charge because you're rolling more dice, you're more likely to cause those some casualties, but your opponent is rarely going to lose their front rank. Um, whereas later, when we see some of the really, you know, high end, uh, oh, I don't know, Blood Knights. Chosen or... corn. Um, yeah. There's no Blood Knights in six, which upsets me greatly, but oh. that's a. <laughs> I'm I'll thinking of the wrong edition, clearly. Um, but yeah, as you say, uh, Corn Knights is the perfect example where they clear the first, where they charge in, clear your first rank, and you're not rolling any dice back. You're right, Nick. That feels real bad. Um, but I and was seventh it, any better? I don't remember this. Seventh was worse for that. Uh, yeah, because the the units just got better, and and the the defining. Sort of meta in seventh edition was very small units, multiple small unit armies That's were very right. strong. And things, things like small units of Blackguard, where because you had to run small units, right? Because when you charged, you got to strike first. And and it got to the point where all, all of the units were high enough quality that if they struck first, they were pretty much going to wipe out most of the front rank. And so, or they'd have a hero in them, and the hero was going to wipe out the front rank. Yeah. And so you had to take small units because your small unit was enough that it was going to wipe out the enemy's front rank. But if you took a big unit, 
you were opening yourself up to the fact that you get charged by one of these smaller units, it would wipe out your front rank. And even if you had some ranks and stuff, you were still going to lose combat by enough that you were probably going to break. And so you couldn't risk having, you know, these big infantry units because yeah. they just, they were, they were too easy to, to um, take out without them actually getting to affect the board. I Except do remember if you're that. Pikemen. Have you read the Pike rules? Dear God. Yeah, yeah. Pikes for Dogs of War were insane. Whew. So good. So good. But then Dogs of War, again, were one of those armies that uh, I think a leadership eight general was quite common for them. And so they had a massive problem with psychology. They did. They really did. But they had some fun units. Bearmen. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I love the, the Dogs of War regiments. Renowned vibe as well. And. I was rather jelly. I think uh, jealous. I think Nick, you put some stuff on Facebook showing. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> all your uh, metal mm -hmm. dogs of war stuff. And if there was one, apart from maybe chaos dwarves, because obviously they're rare as hand Steve, But if there was one army that I'd love to have, it would be a metal, a fully metal dogs of war army. I bought them years ago at the end of eight. I was going to run them as um, dark elves because dark elves had like lots of access to crossbows and spearmen. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then just I think they nuked it. I'm like, oh, in, into a box they go. And I was scrounging through stuff here. I'm like, oh, holy holy cow, yeah. man. Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> Good save, I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I had it. one of those moments the other day. I opened um, a suitcase of metal and I found um, 50 chaos cultists from Mordheim. Oh, nice. And went, where did I even get this? Um, but, you know. Uh, and I, Hohen, I know your your collection of fantasy models. I'm sure trumps all of us in half. Well, I'm, I'll just quickly on the flip side for the eighth versus six uh, sort of psychology and everything. Mm. And obviously, I, I wasn't playing in sixth, and I can only go on from what I've read, so I won't see, won't have seen the stuff on the battlefield. But I think I've got a relatively decent grasp of seeing how things could move. Um, to me, the sixth edition psychology just seems so much more like, and I know we're talking about dragons and magic missiles, but realistic. Um, and the way that, yeah. that heavy cavalry and shock cavalry work in six versus eight. So like as my only on table experience with eight, but psychology may have not been a thing at all. It was completely negated by re-rollable leadership 10 for everything, terror, fear, um, you know, uh, panic tests, all that sort of stuff. So it, I don't know, like, and as a vampire count player, when you had to, I, I'm pretty sure I felt you paid for fear on your models. It was useless. Um, and I definitely get the um, the having a whole unit, like, you know, unit panic off and panicking the rest of your goblins off or something, a feel-bad moment. But, I don't know, to me, that just sort of, I don't know, helps balance, I don't know, massive horde armies. Because, like, you see in Age of Sigmar and stuff, like, this is, I'm, I'm going I'm going right, way out on a limb here to use as an argument, but they've completely gotten rid of, or for all intents and purposes, decent leadership mechanics. And so where's the negative to running these massive amounts of poor troops? Um but to me, just looking at the six rules, um, like the fact you've got to take a, a panic check when you're getting flanked by a, just a unit of at least, what, five models is awesome. It's so thematic, you know, like infantry back in the day didn't sit there and just, you know, receive a charge of heavy cavalry into their flank and just take it and keep fighting to the front. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, just that whole psychology to me and also the fact that heavy cavalry, because like I ran Blood Knights religiously in... um in 8th edition, I loved them, that's what got me into Vampire Counts, they were kind of useless, like, you know, they'll you could smash another cavalry unit, maybe, if they weren't elves on the charge, um, and stuff like that, but it was just, you'd hit this big infantry block in the flank, or, like, you got lucky in the rear, and the infantry block just goes thunk and takes it, like, I don't know, there was just always something wrong with this thunderous, awesome cavalry charge coming in, and then just, boop, it's, it stops at the front of the unit, 
I don't know, it just it felt very grindy. Cavalry was had a real hard time unless you ran them quite deep. Um, yeah, and, I yeah. think they I think they made a bit of a comeback towards late late stage eighth when the meta shifted towards more monstery sort of stuff. So yeah, it started eighth went through the sort of phase where at the start it was huge blocks of infantry. Everyone's like, wow, you can take these giant blocks of infantry. We're we're going to do free. that. Yeah. And there was a lot of and there was a lot of comp and and things that would target or restrictions targeting those big magic Gold spells Swedish. as well. So everyone everyone took these huge units of infantry and then so in response to that I think everyone went well I'm going to take these big monsters where the infantry aren't really going to be able to maneuver the monsters are a lot more maneuverable than the infantry they'd get thunder stomp and they would absolutely carve through these infantry units. And then as a response to the monsters, you kind of saw the cavalry being more popular because they didn't get stomped on. They didn't, there was no thunder stomp or stomp on cavalry. Oh, that's right. And, and, there, and there weren't those huge infantry units anymore because they'd kind of been driven out by the monsters. And so cavalry kind of made a comeback because a, a decent sort of 10-man cavalry unit would actually trouble a monster quite significantly. Yeah, nice. yeah, on the charge because the monsters are generally going to have a lower initiative than some of your high-quality cavalry. Yeah, and and the cavalry will be coming in with with uh, probably a rank bonus and a and a banner, mm -hmm. versus the the monster coming in with no static combat res and and not having that steadfast rule or anything like that. Mm. Oh, definitely. Like, I think there's definitely fours and against on both. I'm just looking at it from a purely uh, you know mechanical side from sixth and from the sort of I, whenever I play like obviously I had vampire count so I had to move up pretty slowly. But even with um vargulf and all that sort of stuff, you there was still enough big combat blocks to sort of make a lot of these hard-hitting small units kind of useless, especially with Stubborn, the lack of fear mattering, you know, all that sort of stuff, and with ASF everywhere. God, goddamn, ASF. Yeah, that was, that was a terrible rules decision. That yeah. I was never a fan of that rule in any it, way, shape, or form. It didn't form. need the reroll on top. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it hurt. It hurt real bad. Madness. But yeah, I, I look forward to seeing the... Um, I, I suppose I can talk about how I look forward to seeing how fear works. I'm running a completely mounted... Um, Slanesh army, so immune to psychology. I was but, about um, to say. Uh, yeah, um, uh, so I'm probably biased in the other direction, but definitely as a vampire account player, I'd love to see fear work. Like, And it's so much more realistic again stupid in a magical game with dragons and zombies but like if you are if you're get, seeing all your mates getting clubbed to death by a shambling monstrous horde of zombies you're not going to stand there and just go i'm gonna keep fighting like you're gonna be like i'm out I'm, I, I don't need to be stabbed to death by zombies i can run away from them like there's so much more of that almost you can't control it but it is a human element you know what i mean many battles in the ages weren't won by a, a complete killing of the enemy army you just broke it they all legged it and it was done yeah absolutely and, and maybe something that kind of I, I link to the psychology being an issue and one of the, the for me the weaknesses of six is it linked very much into the fleeing rules and the fleeing rules in six edition are legitimately terrible they they basically don't address where units go and and how they move around stuff whereas oh, that's and that right. was one of the what was one of the big changes they made in seventh edition was that you flee uh how you fled and where you fled Mm -hmm. Six edition rules, but they essentially just don't address it. It just says you you flee away from the enemy, and it's like, a lot of holes in the six edition rules and yeah, weirdly absolutely. placed rules. Like yeah. barding is in an uh, it's, it's a weird spot. Like <laughs> yeah, so you've got those fleeing rules. So not only were I thought the, the psych rules probably a bit oppressive, but then it linked into fleeing and yet units fleeing. Just, when we went back to playing six edition, that was one of the things we noticed because they cleaned that up so much in seventh and eighth edition, mm -hmm. and it was it was just it was crazy. And there is a 
I think it's a white dwarf. Maybe it's in the Chronicles. There's a page that floating around. If you if you are getting into six edition, that has kind of four steps to resolve a fleeing unit, and and that helps a lot. And just bring that in. Look, paste it on yeah, top. if you're looking to if you're looking to play, but even that, it doesn't address it nearly enough. Um, the, this... Is it is it like a, one of those if you're playing amongst mates? Like uh, I I won't say a bad word here, but don't be a tool about it. Like you know, just use what would be fair and logical. Yeah, it just it. It's so a very I imagine using rule set and in eight it, it was you bolted straight away, wasn't it? Like front to front away from the unit. Yeah, so they put in that you would go through your own units and yeah. stuff like that in eighth, which you didn't and do. And then in... was a panic test on the way back, couldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, which I think is a good rule. Which okay, because ever the leadership was so high across the board, it, it never it caused wasn't anything. Big, yes. But like in sixth edition, like the fleeing rules and the panic rules, it's like you've got a unit of unit strength five or more that starts the turn within four inches of you, you have to take a panic check, but, and there's all these kind of weird panic rules and, but where you actually flee to, if you, if you, if you as an experienced gamer go through that, you'll be shaking your head because it's just, it's badly. very unclear and very badly written. Oh, there's but, heaps um, of that. The sixth book is a monstrosity, but for different reasons to eighth, if you know what I mean, it's just not yeah. as concise and clear. Yeah. I have a, um, a take that, I haven't heard anyone else really say that I really, I, I think I would like to play day one, seventh edition, if that makes sense. It does. Mm -hmm. So, so the sixth edition, the biggest problem with seventh edition, I think seventh edition core rules are better than sixth ed, like significantly because it's just a cleanup of the sixth ed rules. Now let's talk about that because you go from unit ranks are four models deep. You go to five models deep, right? That's yep. one of the big Which, changes from sixth to seventh. Yeah, that was a big change. That's adding um, what you need twenty percent more troops almost across the board for, for the full rank bonus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they just tidied up a lot of rules just across the board. The fleeing rules got better or, or, or tidied, and it just it 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 brought it all into kind of one book. And so I think the core rules of seventh are a lot stronger. I can't part part of my issue is I I struggle looking back at. I, don't, I can't remember exactly when the transition happened between sixth and seventh, and in 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 my kind of thinking back to my sort of career of playing those games, if that makes sense. It does. I, I can't remember which events I played with sixth and which were seventh because they were very similar. Yeah, they were. But um, the 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 main problems with seventh edition were the the army books, the Dark of mm -hmm. book, the Vampire Camp book, and the Demon, Demon book. book were were just insane. Um. And so I really like day one, seventh, the thought of day one, seventh edition, using all of the rule books from sixth. Yeah. So, and, and using all, and, and letting people use all those crazy uh, back Help of the book lists, lists and stuff and, like yeah. that. Kislev Allied Contingents. Yeah, exactly. Because they're really cool, but using the slightly tidied up rules of. I, I've heard a few people say that, like, just you play, I think they might have just said you play, I've heard, I can't remember who his name was, but on Facebook, good old Book of Faces, just sort of said, play seventh with six ed magic and six ed books. Boom. Even the six ed, uh, the seventh ed magic wasn't too bad when mm -hmm. it first came out. Yeah, that's uh, again, true. It's just it the books still, blew it up a bit. The books gave you the ability to spam spam magic missiles more and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, guys, let's. Um, our time is sort of running here. Why don't we bring this together by talking about some of the reasons why you might play sixth versus eighth or eighth versus sixth, because that seems to be the the large topic for tonight now albeit we just said maybe try seventh using sixth book um and i actually nick now you're going to make me go find the seventh ed book because i don't know where mine is um 
but that uh, that's such a good idea. Anyway, sixth edition. It was almost grittier. It was uh, it was a narrower focus. It was smaller armies. Um, you had the lap around rule. Magic was less significant, uh, but in a good way, if that makes sense. Uh, it almost feels a bit less hero hammery and a little bit more units matter. I know that's funny going to eighth where you saw the super units of infantry, you know, the hordes and with a steadfast rule. But then I I always think of eighth and maybe it's just because of how it ended of eighth being the addition of the howda monster. Yo bro, I heard you like a howda, so I'm going to put a howda on that. And then another howda, and then another howda. Uh, that just might be my memory. So for me, I I really like the idea of sixth being the smaller nitty gritty games. And I think a lot of the edition of six that I played was like 1500 points. So I think I was playing smaller games as well. So it felt intimate almost. Hohen, what, what are your takes on that? Yes. For me, it, it comes down to the, I mean, I think the most important thing is, is play what your friends are playing and play what your community is playing because play what you can play. (laughs) Yeah. It just, well, it just makes it easier to get games and you're going to enjoy it more from that perspective. But for me, what I like about sixth edition is it's very close to my heart is that's when I started wargaming. You know, that's when I was 14. That's when I started going to games workshops. I was buying white dwarfs, you know, and I would read that white dwarf cover to cover. I would read mm-hmm. all the 40k articles. And, and that is when I fell in love and, and, and started wargaming, you know, before that I played a bit of chess in primary school, but like I discovered wargaming, you know, when I was sort of 12 mm-hmm. and started really playing it when I was sort of 14, 13, 14, 15, started playing tournaments and, and met and met the people who are my friends to this day, you know, 20 years later. Case in point. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. So, and, and like wargaming and Warhammer particularly has been such a huge part of my life and the people that I've met. And so that all kicked off with six edition. And so there's a, a real nostalgia element, um, to sixth edition for me. And I think there was some amazing models, some amazing rules, really cool thematic rules. So there's a lot of flexibility in sixth edition. Are the rules the most polished rule set you're going to get? No. Eighth edition, a lot more polished, a lot less rules inconsistencies, yeah. but a different game. And so for me, the the real nostalgia factor hits me with sixth edition. And I think it's just that kind of, it's a really, a bit of a golden period. It's, it's you know, I like the rules. I love the the world building and the the different armies you can take and the flexibility and I love all the models and so for me it's it just it has a very good sort of place in my heart and that's and that's why I advocate sixth edition a lot. Yeah, and I think I'm similar. I mean, I did play previous editions, but sixth was where it it stuck. That's the one that I got. It really clicked, and that's the one I enjoyed playing. I think the most, but. Nick, you guys are starting from scratch. From what I've been listening to on Dudes Talking About Toy Soldiers, from memory, one of you played 6th edition Um, out of the the large group of dudes you have playing this. I think Jordan may have played a little bit with his brother back in the day sort of thing. Yeah. So you you guys are, you don't have that nostalgia. You don't have that connection to 6th other than maybe from a fluff perspective. Why, I, I, I guess for you, what are some of the h- big hit moments for Sixth? 
and, and that's perfectly fair. I feel like so don't get me wrong, I don't have anywhere near the ties to what the Nick does, but I definitely have that as that Hordes of Chaos thing, which was which I loved. The yeah. art was amazing. I remember reading all the White Dwarfs with all the cool extra army lists. Not that it, I wasn't even into that fantasy that, that much at that point, but just it's you know when you're younger everything's better like that's just oh, yeah. in your head you know what I mean so you're reading through all this like oh I remember that I remember that so there's definitely a, a layer of that for me but that's definitely not the case for a lot of the other boys a lot of the other boys have come into wargaming a lot later um like Jermaine who you're talking to the other day I think mm-hmm. he's only been in wargaming five or six years maybe yeah um so he's like I think he even missed out on eighth um so the other side I'm sort of coming from or the, the point I need to combat with sort of my group if you will if you want to go that sort of aggressive is sort of buy-in like Six has a much lower footprint and an ability to have battles at lower point levels. Yeah. Um, whereas eighth edition is just, it's catastrophic the second you want to run something cool. Um, because of those percentages, you know, you've got a max of 25% on your rare, which is probably something cool. You've got max of 25% on your lords, which is probably a dragon lord of some description. Like all the cool, funky fantasy stuff, you've got to build up your army to get those big units in. Whereas six is, you can go, well, get your, let's go 2K, you can get your lord in there dump 2,000 points or, you know, 1,500 points into him, who cares, and run the cool little models you want to do it. So we're not running into it like a we've got a tournament prep, we've got to have world-smashing armies. Yeah. We just want, to, want sort of a, a guide and an end goal to just do some fun modelling. Like, And that's really it. And, like, the, the art's amazing, so evocative. Yeah. I feel the 8th edition, there was too much explained, sort of what was happening with 40k now. There's too many colourful pictures, you know everything about everything, whereas 6, the fluff, still definitely had those the dark spots you weren't sure about, the unexplained happenings, you know what I mean? And I think as your description was, like, these fights, you know, it's it's, it's 40 dudes defending their village against a couple of Chaos Horsemen that are still a threat, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you don't have these necessarily big grand set-piece battles, and I think they also lend themselves to, like, I'm a massive fluff nerd, love my fluff. Um, it, it makes explaining your battles much easier as well. Like, you know, a small wall band getting in here, there, and everywhere is easy as buggery. This huge grand army appearing in the middle of the high elf yeah. isles, well, <laughs> yeah, not exactly. happening. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I've, not, um, I've not really considered it from a perspective of, of wanting to play it without having that model base because I've got mm-hmm. that base of models from when I did play and, mm-hmm. and from eighth edition and stuff. So, yeah, I'd not I certainly not considered that. And that's a very valid point. The um the buy into the um to a the dead system essentially is, is a lot easier. And if yeah. for anyone who wants to get a, a good vibe of what six ed was like and what the fluff was like, the six ed and we mentioned before the vampire counts book. Mm-hmm. Get that book oh. and read it. The art is amazing. Yes. The fluff is amazing. The rules of how you can theme your army is amazing. Like that book is the absolute pinnacle for me. Definitely. Without a doubt. I don't See, think for me, it's I don't the, think GW's topped anything beyond that. It's the Hordes of Chaos book, but that's just me. Oh, it, also, it, it's amazing, but and yeah. the fact that the way it links up with the Beasts of Chaos, right? Or whatever yes. it's called, Beast of Chaos. Yeah. The way it links up with that is almost its own vampire counts, but the vampire counts is all in one sitting. But yeah, the way that you can fiddle around with everything between beasts, mortal, and demon in the single Hordes of Chaos book is so awesome. Like it's classic chaos. You know what I mean? Before they'll split up into their separate brackets. Mm-hmm. The fourth Ed Chaos book is still, I think, one of my favorite army books that GW has ever put out. Um, I just absolutely love that army book. Uh, maybe it's the fifth. Anyway, I have it in my in my cupboard, and I pull it out and look at it, look at it from time to time, and read about um, marauders worshiping the crow god and the the viper god instead of slanesh and whatnot because they mm-hmm. they call them different things. Anyway. 
Nick, um, I I, I'm going to... I think I missed that one on account of not being born. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient. <laughs> Some yeah, low-key shade. I was well out of college when I was playing 6th edition. Anyway, um, dudes talking about toy soldiers, Mr. Beatty. Yeah. You guys have, as I said, the 6th edition build-up going on. You guys are starting with 1,000-point forces. Um, and I love yep. that you guys have not only you, you're not just saying, OK, a thousand points. Here's a bunch of lists. Go pick what you want to go and go. You've actually chosen a geographical part of the old world that is between the Empire and um, Estalia. Badlands. Badlands. World Mountains. Yeah. World Ed Mountains. And you're saying we're playing here. But then you, you've actually chosen a specific time period as well, the time of the three emperors. And so it's very narrative focused. And having I'm halfway through the episode that just came out today um, and listening to Corey talk about his um, the fluff for his Slayer cult army uh, for 30 minutes, you know, right off the bat, I'm like, that actually got me super jazzed about fantasy because it was like, God, yeah, the, the narrative, the story this is so cool. And, you know, you guys are talking about building up and he's like, well, here's my, my, my general at the hero level. And as he, you know, as he goes up, uh, this is how I'm going to add, uh, you know, items to him as he progresses to the next layer of sl- uh, slayerdom when he's trying to kill himself, but go out gloriously at the same time. It's just fantastic. And God, I think sixth edition works so well for that. So kids at home, if you're lo- if you're looking uh, for some dudes talking about uh, fantasy fluff, dudes talking about toy soldiers episode seven, uh, they do a lot of that. So yeah, loving it. I will anyway. just quickly clarify. You said kids playing at home. I would heavily suggest. Yeah, not uh, kids. Sorry, kids don't listen to that. No, kids do not <laughs> Be because uh, there is a there's, warning there's, about, about your fluff. Dude, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be aware. Be very aware. Yeah, good point. Good point. (laughs) Uh, But you guys are going to be running, uh, I don't want to say an event, um, but you're going to be running some games days at some point. Uh, You you did point out in that episode that you're not running a league because leagues never work, but you're going to be playing some games. Yeah, well, you know, uh, generally, well, before COVID hit, um, you would have... Mm -hmm. quasi-frequent games days at my joint. Everyone pays 20 bucks, get a couple slabs, put some um, slow-cooked pork on and stuff, and just roll dice and have some fun. Yeah, so when we're released again, we'll definitely have them, you know, have a 1,000 points, get it painted, you know, a month Mm -hmm. or so after, 2,000. Just, you know, get it painted, and we just do something low and low-key spiteful that, you know, if everyone else has gotten the work in, you know, and you haven't done it, every every model's got hatred, bare plastic or something. You know I mean? <laughs> Give you a little bit of an ink, like, because, yeah. you know, we're not playing for sheep stations. There's no w- victory for winning, but it's fun to spite your friends. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hohen, you and I have been talking about possibly putting together a sixth ed mini event at uh, the Hampton Club at some point as well. So maybe post-COVID lockdown, we can try and coordinate something and play some games. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Keep it lower yeah. points, and I can probably get like ten people in for you. Oh. Definitely, <laughs> definitely been having a having a hankering, and um, there's been a really strong scene up in Sydney, mm-hmm. um, uh, Sydney and Wollongong playing playing some six ed, and so I went to um, went up to Sydney in November last year when we had a sort of brief break between oh. COVID lockdowns, mm-hmm. the the, sum, the the actual summer that we got to enjoy. Um, and yeah, we we drove up and and did a weekend up in Sydney playing playing games, and that was really good fun. 
just to get back into it. So there's a really strong six ed scene up there. Um, and certainly wouldn't mind uh, running a, a few small events here at some point. Yeah, man. Well, on that note, with the promise of lockdown someday ending and us playing games again, <laughs> I think it is time to uh, to wrap it up. Guys, thank you so much for making the time to uh, wax nostalgic with me tonight and just talking about, I mean, a game that wasn't perfect. Uh, and yeah, Games Workshop does not write balanced rules generally. Um, if you, if you want to talk about that, I'm sure we can talk about that. I worked in sales. I know how it worked. I worked for Games Workshop sales. <laughs> corporate yeah anyway it's <laughs> great i mean it's this these are wonderful games this is this is a wonderful universe to immerse yourself in and it, it's it's just so nice to look back at it and especially during lockdown when things can get a little grindy it is nice to look back at things that we enjoyed and you know have some of those rose-colored glasses of looking back at some of the the units and going, oh, I remember when it did that. I remember when my Keeper of Secret caught every rock thrown at it forever. (laughs) (sighs) Guys, I highly recommend. I know a couple of people have messaged recently saying, look, you know, even now that where I'm living, we don't necessarily have a lockdown, but, you know, I'm, I'm not super into going out and playing games with people anymore. You know, it can be nice to look back. And, you know, some of the models from these older games that don't necessarily exist anymore were fantastic fun to paint. Um, and I'm definitely going to be so painting up a few detail, a few Chaos Dwarf models in the weeks to come, I think. Uh, and we'll see where <laughs> that ends up. But uh, all of this, of course, seems to be heading in the direction of uh, the old world is coming back, uh, apparently, from mm-hmm. Games Workshop. And we're going to get square bases, and it's confirmed 28 mil. I don't want to get into wild speculation about it um, because, God, there's been a lot. Um, I'm sure we'll save that for another episode. But Nick and Nick, thank you so much for coming on tonight, man. Uh, Both of you, it's always amazing to hear your voices, and I can't wait to see both of you in person soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thanks for having us. We both did it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on as well. It's always good just to talk a bit of hobby. Definitely. Definitely. Hohen, thanks again, brother. No, thank you. Uh, always a pleasure. And I did the bad host thing by saying Nick's and then saying both at once. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Guys, we both tried to be polite. And yeah, we both. Yeah. <laughs> but you can tell we're both on podcast because we both paused and then went, someone has to speak, otherwise it's it, gonna be dead uh, we're just going to sit there and then we just both came at the exact same time. Perfect. Yeah, perfect attunement. <laughs> I'm laughing hard over here. <clears throat> Guys, uh, thank you very much for listening to. Uh, I know this is sort of a niche topic uh, and it isn't one that we don't, you know, we always cover on the show, but locked down and I wanted to do something fun. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I had a few people messaging with ideas for the show recently. Thank you very much. Um, I've added them to the list and I've got some really exciting guests coming up. And next week I have something special. It's going to be a little different from the normal. And I think it's going to be illuminating on the global uh, pandemic and what that means for us as hobbyists. Uh, I, I'm going to have Alessio on talking about the cost of shipping containers. I'm having someone who knows a lot more about it on. Um, okay. And someone who might use much more colorful language. So I am looking forward to this. Uh, I'll leave it at that. 
But uh, if you have any uh, sneers, jeers, abuses, things that you would like to uh, pass my way, ideas for shows, uh, or if you just have some kind words because you know that lockdown sucks. Um, so look, we I'll ap- send you some dick pics later. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> Thanks. We appreciate it. Um, just go to Facebook, and this is uh, Owen's favorite part. Cue the laughter. Um, just go to Cast Dice, C-E-S-T-D-I-C-E. Uh, you're guaranteed a response. From me, my name is Brad. Um, I know that some of you sometimes wonder why it takes me so long to reply. Please remember that despite my accent, I am in Australia and I do sleep sometimes, uh, even during lockdown. But I think on that note, uh, it just brings us back to what my old buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Guys, seriously, stay safe out there. Good night.